God wants to do big tasks through us and our faith. He gave a big task to Nehemiah in our first verse. Nehemiah remembers that not everybody wanted him to accomplish that task. Nehemiah 6, 9 says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Our second verse is Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Is it my turn now? Oh, it's good to be with y'all. We are family. See, that little granddaughter of mine just got me all messed up today. Couldn't even remember my own parents were. But it's good to be here. We're in a sermon series on Nehemiah, and it has really been a blessing, and I hope you're enjoying it as well. About the restoring of that wall, but it wasn't just about a wall. It was restoring God's people and uh, restoring God's purpose in this world. And when that happens, Satan doesn't like it whether it's restoring your life or the lives of those around you, or even in that day in Jerusalem, Satan wasn't for it. In fact, he was against it. And the enemies of God stood up against Nehemiah and God's people. And they did everything within their power to stop the building. Satan still works in the same way today. He wants us to stop building our lives. Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and there's a a passage that Jeff just read us about God's strength in our hands, and that's the title of our our lesson today strengthen our hands because in this passage the wall gets finished 52 days Nehemiah built the wall that's that's pretty good in fact by the time we end this sermon series we'll have preached on it longer than it took them to build it and they got it done but the enemy wanted to stop it they could see that it was almost finished and they were doing everything they could to sap the strength of Nehemiah and God's people but Nehemiah prayed for God and his strength. And so, but, but the enemy's still present. So we're just going to spend some time in the text today. We're going to read most of Nehemiah chapter 6 about these strong hands. And the first thing that I want you to observe in the first few verses is strong hands refuse to be distracted. They refuse to be distracted. Nehemiah 6, beginning in verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not yet, I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah is basically saying, there is a time to talk, and there is a time to work. And this is the time to work and not talk. Because the enemy just wanted to slow things down. They wanted to stop it. So, hey, let's have a peace conference on the plain of Ono, which is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. But you take time to get there and to set it up and to talk. And while you're talking, you won't be working. 
And Nehemiah's response to the plane of, oh, no, was just a good, oh, no. No, I'm not going. Why should I? He's basically saying the time to talk is over. And now is the time to work. Some people like to talk instead of work. And being a preacher, I am very good at this. So if there's any work to be done, come to me and I'll explain to you how some people talk and don't work until the work's done and then I'll be through talking to you about it. You know, there's just a time to quit talking and start working. And sometimes God's people get together and talk about making disciples and they talk about the work that they should be just going and doing. There is a time to talk and there is a time to work. And Nehemiah knew that this was simply a ploy to get God's work stopped by talking. And he refused to be distracted because he was able to see the danger in distractions. He knew what was going on. They were just scheming to harm him. And so they wanted to change his focus from finishing the project and distract him. And distraction is very dangerous for all of us. You know that's true. Distracted driving, distracted living. Distraction causes us harm, and that's exactly what they were trying to do. Distraction also causes delay, and that's what they wanted him to come down. He says, I'm carrying on a great project and can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave? They were just trying to delay the project. And he recognized what they were doing. Strong hands refused to be distracted. It's like the old saying says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. For those of you who have been around Edmund for a long time, you know years ago, one of our themes was uh, making the main thing the main thing. David Duncan happened to be with us at the time, and he used to use the initials MTMTTMT, making the main thing the main thing. And, what, and you know, it's important to do that. And that's what Nehemiah is saying. There is something to be done, and I'm going to focus on what's the most important thing, the main thing. Strong hands refuse to be distracted. Strong hands also don't let slander stop them. And that's when when they couldn't distract him and get him to come down for a peace conference, they didn't stop. Pick up our text again in verse 5. Then the fifth time... Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Oh, strong hands, don't let slander stop them. See, they were just accusing, they accused him of trying to be king and even hiring prophets that are going to go around and promote him. And they sent all of this in an unsealed letter. And I think you know what that means. They sent it in a letter that could be read and would be read, and they wanted to be read by everybody that came in contact with the message. 
I mean, it was like a letter to the editor. It was out there for everybody to read. And it was, it, it was meant to stir up trouble and to cause problems because they knew that people often lose their spirit, lose their strength and their energy when they're attacked and slandered. I mean, it's a simple fact. Anyone who sets big goals is going to be criticized by others. Jesus knew this truth. It was true for him. They're going to spread falsehoods. In fact, Jesus even taught in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were sent before you. Slander is a huge tool of the enemy, of the devil. In fact, did you know one of the definitions for the word Satan is slanderer? I mean, that's what he, he is all about. He's about slandering Christians. And when we slander others, we're doing the work of the devil. And we don't need to be working for the devil. But yet at the same time, we need to understand the purpose of slander. Nehemiah did. I mean, he recognized their motives. That they were just trying to frighten him. And through saying bad things about him, he would get so discouraged, it would just make him weak. Would take the strength out of his hands. But he recognized their motives. He, he was able to discern them. I mean, has this ever happened to you? Somebody attacked your reputation? Somebody said bad things about you in a public way? Man, it just, it just makes you weak all over. But Nehemiah refused to get caught in the, that trap. And one of the ways he did it was he saw their motive. You're doing this to try and stop me, to weaken me. And so how did he respond? Well, first, he denied their false accusations. He sent that reply. He says, you're making this up in your own head. This is not what's happened. He denied what they were saying. But then he prayed for strength. You see, when people talk bad about us, we have several options. I, I have to say, when somebody says something bad about me that's not true, or it's very disturbing. I get pretty upset. And it would be very common for me to find somebody that's near me and start talking to them about it. Which just keeps me upset. And I, about those lies and all the things. And I talk about it and, and I get upset about it. Talk to other people. Except so many times I forget to talk about to the one person I should. I mean, don't talk about it with other people. Talk it out with God. God's right there with you. Talk it out with Him. Lies about us seem to drain us emotionally. We're being falsely accused, and we need to pray for strength, that our hands will be strengthened. He says, you're trying to do this. I'm going to pray for the opposite to happen. Another observation from this passage is that strong hands work even when they're frightened. Even when they're frightened. Nehemiah 6, verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, 
but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. I mean, they're just trying to intimidate, to frighten him into running. But strong hands work even when they're frightened. When you read that text, it's pretty obvious that cowardice is never the right response. It's never the right response. I mean, <laughs> Nehemiah says, should I run away? He'd gone to see uh, Shemaiah, the friend and priest, but Sam Ballad had got to him and bought him off. And so he was told to tell Nehemiah that there is a plot, an assassin was going to come in the nighttime. The only way to save your life is to run into the temple and go hide where nobody else can go. And Nehemiah should I, says, should I run? He didn't give in. Cowardice is never the right response. Instead, he thought through the threat. I love that word realized. I realized that God had not sent him. Nehemiah was very perceptive. He knew that just because some people said they were speaking for God, that didn't mean they were. And he thought through the threat. He used his head. And he refused to be intimidated. <laughs> Those two words in verse 13. He'd been hired to intimidate me. And they were just working to discredit me. And that's what they were doing. Because if, if Nehemiah had run into the temple and, gone in, gone in to, and sinned by going into the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go. Back in Numbers chapter 18, 7, when it's all being set up, here's the instructions. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. And he says, should I, make, should I sin like that? I mean, I'm the leader of the people. You're just trying to intimidate me, discredit me. You know, as a general rule of thumb, no, no, as a general rule, no, as a real rule. I don't know what I'm saying here. Here's a good thought to remember at times like this. Never break one of God's laws out of fear. Never break one of God's laws out of fear. Instead, Nehemiah stayed and worked, even when he was frightened. And because Nehemiah refused to quit, because of this, verse 15, so the wall was completed in 52 days. I mean, it's done. The tables are now turned. The walls are up. For the first six chapters, the people of God were afraid. The enemy was attacking. They were causing all kinds of havoc. But now the walls are up. And who's afraid now? Verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I have to admit, as, as we studied this these last few weeks, you, the enemy had a good plan. <laughs> they came up with some great ideas, ways to divide the people and to discourage them, to promote discord among the people with how they handled their money, and to make fun of them, to make them fear and to, and to dread what would happen. 
It was a good plan and well played. And they knew it, except it didn't work. And it was very obvious to them why it didn't work. It wasn't these people, it wasn't even their leader. They knew that only with the help of God would their plans have failed. And would these people have been successful? And they were afraid because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. And it was. Much of those first chapters, the enemy was attacking the people of God. In this chapter, it's a little bit different. They're really attacking the leader, they're attacking Nehemiah personally. They're coming after him. And yet he refused to play their game. Instead, he stayed focused on what God would have him to do. So here's just a few observations for how we ought to live our lives if we wanted to follow that life of Nehemiah. And first of all, realize that there is great power in purpose. And when I have something that I am called to do, there is great power in doing it. Nehemiah said early on in verse 3, I'm carrying out a great project. I mean, there is something I have to do. And when you feel like you're doing a great work for God, you have a purpose for living, it compels you, it draws you, it gives you a reason for getting up in the morning. You don't have to drag yourself out of bed. You can't wait to get up and to get going and do what you have to do. I mean, there's some things I can remember doing in life that I dreaded, like homework, maybe. I mean, I never just said, man, I got nothing else to do. What's the best thing I can do right now? I think I'll do homework. You know, maybe for some of you, you love learning. That's great. God bless you for that. It just wasn't true for me. But when I am compelled to do a great work for God, it's what gets me going. It's a difference between just existing but having a reason and a purpose for living. And as Christians, we are truly called to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. It is our purpose. It is what we live for. It's what keeps us going. It's what gets us up out of bed and, and draws us into, our, our, into this world, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into work, into the environment that God has placed us. It is what we're about. I mean, I, I had the great joy of being able to participate in Mission Edmund. You know, we go all over the world and do these mission trips, and we thought, let's do a mission trip right here at home. So we call it Mission Edmund. And to come alongside many of you as we did projects for our own members and, and their neighbors, as we went into nursing homes, all the different aspects. It is, it is our way of getting out and, and doing and serving. God calls us. And when you have that project, that purpose, I, I was at breakfast every morning and I didn't see people dragging in. I saw them coming in. And even the, the kids that were present, it wasn't like their parents made them come. It's like, I have a reason for being here. And they were excited. And when that happens, it's seen in our actions. It is very important that we build our faith. What's happening right now in giving worship to God and letting God speak to us through his word is crucial. It is so important. It's a vital part of our lives. It's growing faith. But we also need to express that faith. Paul would put it this way in Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts... I want to pay attention when Paul says the only thing that counts. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So that faith we're talking about needs to leave this place and go into this world and be expressed in loving ways into our community, into our friends and neighbors. And that is the vision we have. 
You know, our, our, our world loves to talk about vision all the time. And, you know, sight is something that's very, that we can see. It's very tangible. But vision is the invisible. It's the thing that's not yet to have happened, and we want to be able to see that and have a vision. And that is wonderful. I think when the world talks about that, they're talking about something very good. They're also talking about something we were taught in the Bible. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. In other words, we are people of vision. We, we see what can be and what God calls us to be. And that's what making disciples is all about, is helping other Christians grow in their faith and reaching out to those who don't know Christ yet and helping them develop their faith as well and come to know Him. The power of purpose. Nehemiah also showed us the importance of perspective. And I would love to be like Nehemiah in this way. Nehemiah 6.2, he was able to tell that they were scheming to harm him. In verse 9, he says, they were trying to frighten us. In verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him. Wow, what a powerful man of perception and discernment. I mean, he was able to see a situation and see what was going on behind the scenes. I wish I had that good of sense of potential problems. I wish I had that kind of perception. So how in the world do you develop this spiritual perspective, this spiritual discernment? Well, if you've been going to our adult classes on Sunday morning, you've been studying the book of James. James makes it very clear. Verse 5, chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You pray. You ask God to give you that spiritual discernment, that perspective of life, so that you won't be ruled by the fears of this world. So you spend time in prayer. You spend time in God's Word. You learn. And then you're able to see life like God sees life. You're able to have that faith, that vision that can see what others can't see. There's so, so much power and purpose. And we must have that Christian, that godly perception of life and perspective. And then with Nehemiah, you also see the presence of prayer. I mean, when they were trying to weaken his hands... He prayed for the opposite to happen. Nehemiah 6, 9. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. He talked about it with God. His first response was always to pray. And that's true in chapter 6 as well. He didn't go to others. He went to God and he talked it out. And that's what God wants his people to do even this day. Jesus taught so much about prayer. When he was teaching his disciples, he, uh, he taught them a parable about prayer. We call it the parable of the persistent widow. In Luke 18, 1, he says, he told, Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the point of that story that he t tells them, that parable. To pray, don't give up. In other words, there's no need to panic. Just pray about it. Take it to God. And when you do, you'll have the courage to persist, to keep going, Nehemiah 6.11, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. In other words, he says, I will not give up. I'm going to keep doing what God called me to do. He was a courageous person, and we need to have that courage to persist as well. You've probably heard that, that the definition of courage is not the absence of fear. 
Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fears, and I think that's very, very true. I mean, there are times that it's okay to be afraid. It's just fine. You should be afraid. I mean, can, can you think of times in your own life where you were a little bit frightened and afraid, and it was okay? I mean, if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, it's okay to be a little bit afraid that you might fall. I remember on my wedding day and making those vows and commitments, I was a, a little bit afraid because I, I knew what I was committing to and I knew how weak I was at times. Those are, it's okay to be afraid at times. Maybe you're going in for a big job interview or, or have surgery coming up. There are times when it's appropriate to be afraid. Somebody once said, if you aren't afraid at those times, you might not be courageous, you might just be unsmart. I was going to say dumb, but might just not be very intelligent. It's okay to be afraid, but we have to act in, in spite of our fears or with our fears. You know, one of the ways I've observed in my own life over the years that I can tell when I'm afraid is I have a desire to run. I want to run away from a situation. I mean, it, it can be true with a, a class I'm studying in. I just, just want to avoid it, to run away from it, and to not attend. It's true in relationships. just want to remove myself or run away from it. I can remember as a kid running from my dad because I was afraid of him. So I'm a little kid. My dad's six foot three, and I'm going to run from my dad like that's going to work. You know, I remember running away from him once around the coffee table. Like, I mean, I didn't have much chance there, did I? Little kids do that often when they're afraid. They run. In my own life, I don't know about you, but in my own life, I've observed that I have an even stronger desire to run as I've aged. That that desire doesn't leave it. It just becomes stronger. And I want to run from difficult situations and pretend that they don't, aren't happening, to ignore it. But I've also observed, if I do that, if I run from a difficult situation instead of learning what God would want me to learn through that and to act upon it, I've learned that God will just bring me another one up. So I might as well handle this one because God's got a lesson to teach me and he's, he loves me enough, he's going to teach me the lesson. And it's pretty foolish for me to run from God. It's not very smart. So I need to have the courage to stay in and persist. And that's what Nehemiah had. He lived out what Paul teaches us in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's what we're called to do, to live lives of faith, to build our lives so that, the, that Satan, when he attacks, cannot get in. God loves to watch his children build their lives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, for all of us, there are times when, when we struggle with this. And we think, that's great for Nehemiah, and I see how he did it, but I know me. How about me? I just want to remind you and remind myself that I can do this the same way Nehemiah did. And that's with the help of God. Once again, that text we read earlier, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's his power. And so when I say I can't do that, I'm right. But with God working in me and through me, I can build my life. 
can build it the way God wants it to be built. And I can get started now and you'll be amazed what I can do in the next 52 days. God's work in us. And friend, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you're like Jerusalem was with walls broken down. And what has broken our lives down is sin. Sin's what comes into our lives and breaks relationships. And it breaks the most important relationship ever, and that's between us and our Creator, God. But broken lives can be rebuilt, and God made it possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive those sins so that we could once again enter relationships into God, with God. And that bridge would be built, and we would once again be made whole not living broken lives so if your life feels broken because of sin and you've never given your life to Christ and been baptized that's the call to you today it's the same kind of feeling that those people had in Acts chapter 2 the sin that was definitely on their mind was that they had just killed Jesus but they were broken and they were cut to the heart In Acts 2, verse 37, they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? (laughs) What can we do? And the response of Peter that day is the same call for you this day. When he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will then have that power to live that rebuilt life. I hope you decide to put on Christ in baptism today. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. It's a song of invitation. I invite each of you to think personally of how you need to respond to God's message today. You'll notice a couple of our shepherds and their wives making their way to our parlor. And if you'd like to just go meet with them, they would love to pray with you. You can go out any of the back doors and just make yourself your way around to this hallway. And you'll see the parlor right there. And they'd love to receive you and pray for you. Or we pray for you right here in the auditorium. If you need to respond in any way, won't you come as we stand together and sing?